Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown and a call here with you in the company of Alan Morrison and Juco James because we're going to be reviewing a very special game and that is Celtic 2, Rangers 1. Celtic are the League Cup champions. Ange Postacoglu secures another trophy in his reign. Michael Bale's chat before the game didn't seem to get his team up for the match just as much as he would have liked. They came up a little bit short according to Michael Beale after the game. But Celtic are the champions once again. Kyogo Furuhashi with a double in a League Cup final once again. Don't let anybody tell you that he's not a game, big game player anymore because he absolutely is. He shows up on the occasion. And there was farcical to think that in the first place anyway. But that's beside the point. That's my angry man rant coming out strong in the early stages of this podcast. I don't know what's wrong with me, Alan. I'm coming out all guns blazing. I, don't, I didn't <laughs> expect to come out angry in this show, but... I, I, I don't know. So maybe, well. maybe there's, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of sticking it to Michael Bale. That just the, the frustration is finally coming out of me here at the start of this podcast. But look, we, we should be happy. This is a happy place this week. Oh yeah, I mean, and, in, and in that regard, um, I would encourage you to keep your powder dry because if you're going to get annoyed at every perceived idiotic thing that he says, you, you, you're going to burst a blood vessel in your head by the end of the week because I promise you there's an awful lot more to come. This guy is going to be gold in the short time that he's going to be around. He's going to be absolutely golden. But, uh, yeah, listen, I mean, for me, before we get into the game itself, I guess it's really the context of it that's kind of one of the most important things to draw out because the reality was that had we lost the game, it would have been incredibly frustrating and very, very annoying but it wouldn't actually have fundamentally changed anything structurally around where the clubs are and, and really how how things will move forward in Scotland. It would have been very irritating, as I say, and, and, and it would have been unbearable to listen to weeks and weeks of absolute pish about how brilliant Beale is and how he's got the measure of Ange and how you know Cantwell and Raskin are going to rip up the league and how that he's won this game at Celtic, of course, they're catchable and the treble's on for the heroes in blue. And it would have been all this, it would have been weeks of it. Uh, so we've, I, I'm, mainly, I'm mainly relieved. I actually shared Ange's, uh, Ange's uh, feelings at the end. It was more of a relief, actually, that we kind of spared all of this nonsense uh, for, for, for the next few weeks uh, more than anything. But as I say, the fundamentals, the fundamentals wouldn't have changed. You know, Celtic would still have had a better manager, a better squad, would still have had 50 million in the bank and still would have had a very high probability of Champions League income next season to further sort of strengthen the, the, the club and, and hopefully the squad as well. So none of those things would have changed. But what it, what it does mean psychologically and, and uh, psychologists are, are in the news today, as, as I saw. Um, uh, psychologically, this is an enormously painful blow for 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 those at Ibrox because you know essentially that it's blocked off that that feel good narrative that would have prevailed for for weeks on end. Um, and also, it, you know, I, I did say privately to a couple of friends that I did think that Bill is really from day one. He's one cup defeat in one league defeat away from an absolute crisis and, and I think we've seen from the outpourings and the outworkings of, of uh, from the blue side in terms of their you know, podcasts and social media that this has had a huge psychologically damaging effect because you know it's kind of emperor's new clothes now you know the reality is dawning and the reality that I talked about in terms of the structural advantages 
that Celtic have are now becoming, even, even to those who, and let's be honest, you can't blame supporters at Ibrox for being ignorant to these things because nobody in the media tells them. There's not a peep of it in the media about, um, you know, balance, you know, what the actual impact of revenue loss of, um, you know, not progressing as far in Europe is, of their burgeoning wage bill, or the UEFA watch list and the impacts that that's going to have on them. None of this stuff is, is allowed to be discussed. But I think it's starting to become reality in people's minds that, you know, that Beale is the start. Beale himself is the start of a downsizing exercise. You know, you've, you've got a rookie manager there in his 37th game. He shouldn't be too hard on Mickey. I mean, it's, you know, every man great, you think of every great manager that Celtic have had in recent times. They all started in humble beginnings with small clubs where they made mistakes and they learned their trade. He's been, he's, he, well, he's chosen to be chucked into this cauldron because he walked away from Queen's Park Rangers where he, he had a great environment where he could have grown and developed and made his mistakes a little bit more safely. But he's chosen this this for himself. Um, you know, Ange Postacoglu, this is his, He's, he's, he's getting near 700 matches as a as a professional manager, you know, and that's that's mm. what that's what you know the rookie was up against, and you know, he, it's a hard school, it's a hard place to learn in that regard, and I think he's going to find that out over the over the next few weeks. So that that to me was the important context, um, and I'm sure we'll enjoy getting to the game, and I'm just saying, mm. I'm enjoying going to you know, asking asking James if he still thinks you know whether it's He'll be all the genius or the, or the arrogant prick, which, which one is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into the game, I, I just want to touch on one final theme after the game and how it felt in, in the two squads. And I, I know this is very easy to say after the fact that Celtic have won the trophy, but I think the fact remains that this is the mindset that I do feel that these players have. And it comes with a comment from Patrick McLaughlin talking about selling... Juranovic and Jakimakis, because there's two players that I'm going to mention in this that came in as replacements for those players. I think when you look at Celtic squad and in that game, you had a team of winners, team of a team of absolute killers with a killer mindset that were ready for that game, that were charged up for that game in the right way that they weren't going in, you know, flying into tackles or whatever, but they knew what they needed to do because the, the framework is set there by Ange in the game plan, but they have the confidence to go out and be the dominant team. And Celtic were the dominant team in that game. They looked like the better team. They looked like the team that were winning the league by nine points. I thought that Johnston was fantastic and brilliant in the way that he is and, you know, fiery wee bollocks that he is at this point in time. He's so confident within the team. There was a moment at, at the end where O got the ball and just charged at Barisic and took him out and won a throw in just before the final whistle went. And he was immediately over to the fans to, to get the fans going again and get the, the the fans going again. And then you had O'Reilly stepping up to the plate, Hatate stepping up, having a really good performance, Kyogo getting two goals again when it really mattered. I think this Celtic team is full of absolute winners. And that's the reason that they went on to win that game. And then you look at James Tavernier after the game, for example, just completely defeated in his mindset in the way that they can't figure out why they, they're failing at the final furlong against Celtic. And if you bring you back to Ryan Jack last year, when Celtic were catching them after Jackamacca's comments, he couldn't believe that Jackamacca's would say such a thing that they were going to go on and win the league. I think the mindset at Celtic is completely different to what it is at Rangers. And I think that's the key thing that separates them as well as, you know, superior manager, superior game plan, superior players in many <laughs> assets. I do think the mindset comes into it. Um, as well, but uh, James, general thoughts on the game, I guess. Well, I'll address Alan's comment first because uh, it segues right into what uh, you just mentioned, uh, and uh, which is that, um, you know, I was trying to think about how to how to characterize this, and I, I'm I'm going to settle on something that will probably not be very uh, kind given our audience, but um, you know, you, you you can you know. Beale spent some time in in Brazil, I think it was, or Argentina. I forget. I think it was Brazil. Brazil. Uh, Brazil. Yeah. yeah. And, um, players, to be fair. Right. Right. Um, and you know, I was thinking, you know, you can take the, the 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 British Neanderthal out of Britain, but you can't take the Neanderthal out of the British manager. Um, and I, he he went into that game as soon as you saw Lundstrom in midfield. You know, we talked about it going into the you know, last week in the preview show about, um, you know, using physicality in the midfield and, um, you know, roughing people up given 
given the referee's track record. And by the way, let's we beat him up pretty good last week. Let, let's give him credit. I think Walsh did. I don't know if you guys agree. I mean, I thought he did. Yeah, he was, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. On an absolute basis, it was a good refereeing performance on a relative to what we were expecting. It was like probably the greatest ever of all time. <laughs> so um, the fact that he, I didn't think he made any big mistakes, particularly any that would have you know, hurt us. Um, so the, the fact that he went with that midfield, I thought was, you know, not surprising, um, but kind of stereotypically British Neanderthal, which is you need that guy in the middle to rough up and, you know, and he didn't even do it. Like that was the funny part. Like they, they actually didn't even really play the way that you would think that they should, or I thought that they would try to attempt to. Um, more physical and more niggly fouling. And it, it was completely incoherent um, relative to selection and how they ended up playing. So, you know, talked about heading into the game that this would be the big test would be kind of the chess match, one of the big tests. Um, and I, I thought that was a, a pretty big failure on, on, uh, on uh, Beal's part. The other thing that I just thought was I, w- I was, I had to confirm this on the re on my rewatch Um is I, I, I thought I saw uh, Tillman standing out uh, outside the box on a couple of their first half um, corners. And I was like, I think Tati's marking him. Um, and they, they did change at halftime, but I think they had three or four corners where one of their best attacking aerial threats, like he scored several goals this season on headers. Like he's a taller guy. He can jump. He didn't have a particularly good game, but he was getting marked by a guy who's probably five, six inches shorter than him. And he's not even attacking the goal on corners. And then they pulled him out and then didn't use him. He's a deep, you know, it's that kind of thing. It was, it was just not a very well managed um, uh, Rangers effort as far as I could tell. And, and it, it, that was doubled with, with my rewatch, meaning that they really had some issues. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of paramount to the outcome of the game, which is that, our, our manager soundly won the, the chess game. Um, so I thought I'd start there, given it. it so um, definitely not on the genius scale, uh, particularly mm. on, on, on the day. Um, so that, that would be my first comment. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll get into like the specifics of the game and how we got on from the outside. I'm going to let you guys do most of the talking. I've rewatched a certain part amount of the game, but I haven't rewatched the full thing. So I'll let you just take the lead, but I'm going to say that Karl Starfeld had a really good game, particularly early interested to see what you thought about that in the midfield, a little bit loose in the second half in particular, when Rangers were getting on top, Iwata was brought on in the role that I thought he was going to be brought on in the, in the champions league to come in and be a little bit of a controller thought he did that pretty well not as well as you might, might have hoped and then up front i thought kyogo was excellent as well as yota was yota was very active getting into the middle as well so alan i know that you recognize a couple of major themes in this game that celtic have been repeating and one of them in particular is going forward and that's the the forward wingers getting involved very centrally these days in all that they do so do you want to start there yeah i mean i think it, to be fair it was a bit mixed with the wingers, and, and I think you know, just in terms of just to roll back to you know, let's think about the first half, how that kind of played out. As I say, I saw it being a sort of a short play in three acts, where the first act, as James said, is they set out like Motherwell would, uh, and, and I was watching it thinking, this is exactly how Motherwell used to play against Celtic. They would push three three up, who would do virtually no pressing. Either they didn't, they didn't or they weren't capable of it, which meant Celtic immediately played through that first press very easily. So now you're defending with seven players. And then, you know, the, the first, it was from the first moment, the first the second minute of the game, I think the ball went out for a goal kick and Alan McGregor took as long as he possibly could to get the ball back into play. And I just thought, this is, this is we guy mentality. This is we team mentality that's it. That, that, that's going on here that they're wasting time already they're they're going long they're, they're basically all they're doing is trying to land balls on top of greg taylor's head this is exactly how every team we play in the spfl plays week in week out and i thought this has got to be embarrassing for them because this is genuinely we team thinking here um so, and, and and the fact that 
they've put in um, that midfield suggested to me it was a defensive move because they were going for from from muscle and going for physical superiority rather than thinking how can we how can we beat Celtic how can we get them on the transition um, so I just thought it was a, a very um, a very poor <laughs> and very defensive and very sort of downbeat you know view of the game that they, they took from the very outset. Um, and, and in the first sort of, I suppose, 20 minutes of the game, Celtic, you know, they didn't create a lot. And mainly to, to your point about the wide players is that we, you know, the ball was on the left-hand side a lot. So where where Hitati in particular was very effective was he basically isolated Tillman. And so Taylor and Hitati and Maida were able to overrun because Sakala was not ever going to track back. So they were able to isolate Tillman and got a lot of joy. Unfortunately, Maeda, every time he got the ball, was just horrendous on, on the ball. We'll talk about his off-the-ball performance later because that's something else. But on the ball, he was he was very poor. And then they got they started to play a little bit better. And where they started to get some success in the middle of the first half was that they were obviously trying to play on the counter-attack. And they were trying to play long balls down our left-hand side, as every team does. And they managed to get Sakala on the ball three or four times in that middle of that, that middle of that first half. And he got into some really promising positions. But unfortunately, you know, he's he's somebody that looks like he does one good thing, gets into position, good first touch. And then the next thing he does is horrendous. You know, the, the second touch is bad or he doesn't pick out the pass. So they, they butchered some promising situations in the middle of that um, sort of first half. And then at one point, they actually got, there's a great pass from Goldson, released Kent and Kent had switched over and Kent actually was one-on-one with Taylor and I thought oh god this is going to be awful uh, and what Kent did is he suddenly turned into Jack Grealish and he he turned back he ran sideways across the pitch and then tried a shot from 35 yards with his wrong foot and I thought what are you doing you, you were you were you had a one-on-one with Greg Taylor and if you're Ryan Kent I'm thinking that's your best this is your team's best chance of success here so there was some dreadful wing play uh, on both sides. I think Jota contributed an awful lot more than perhaps any of the other wingers. And then it just seemed like Celtic kind of ground them down towards the end of the first half. And the last sort of eight, ten minutes of that first half, it seemed to be, uh, and I likened it to um, when we played in, Celtic played in Europe, and I, and, I, and I made the analogy that, you know, I made the point that, Here's a, here's a team Celtic who wants to press the opposition higher. They were they were trying to press. They weren't doing it very well, but they were they were trying to press. And and when you've got when you when you're without the ball for 25 percent of the game, you can do that, and you can do it pretty much for 90 minutes. Um, but as we found out in Europe, when you've only got the ball, you know, when, when you were without the ball 60 percent of the time, then we, we we struggled and we ran out of steam in these mm-hmm. European games. And I thought the same thing happened to them. I think it was a combination of. You know, because at half time Celtic had sixty five percent possession, or I think even higher. They weren't used to chasing without the ball for that length of time, and for some reason he chose he chose to play two central midfielders who clearly weren't match fit. And I don't know why. I was going to say you could Tillman and Ludstrom were really lugging. I mean, they yeah. were. Yep, absolutely. And, and so, not, so not only does that make me question his judgment tactically, I also wonder what the players in that dressing room who were fit are thinking about not being selected. For players that clearly weren't fit, that, that's an extraordinary decision. And then to not do anything about it until you're two goals down was another really bad decision. So you know, listen, rookie manager, we can't be too too hard on the guy, but these were mm-hmm. these were some really really sort of poor poor decisions. But it took us, you know, we played in moments, and you know what you talked about there, James. It wasn't even the wingers that we were getting into play. It was it was when the midfield got close to each other in central areas, and one of them attacked the box. Although I think for the first goal it was Taylor, but Maeda, he, he he inverted, he caused a bit of confusion. But both goals, both goals were really down to Connor Goldson being in the wrong place. He didn't cover his front post for either goal, um, and that cost them twice because he tried. He did, he's obviously played with Tavernier for a long time. I think he was trying to anticipate that Tavernier was going to get beaten, and he was trying to overcompensate, and he got caught out twice. Uh, on that side so yeah first half we eventually got it right got a reward great time to score a goal but yeah their their approach was was almost kind of defeatist I thought was was a very strange approach to the game that's how I thought they were going to approach it because 
that's what you do when you're the you know least good team on the on the day when it comes to a final and mm-hmm. um, one thing that i do want to point out is that when you look at really well coached sides you start to see repetitive actions and that's not to say that everything's choreographed that's just to say that there are some things that are repetitive on the pitch and you might see a goal that is scored and you're like that's almost precisely the same goal that they scored three weeks ago and it may not have been the same combination of players but it was a similar way way of going about things celtic's first goal how many times have we seen them score or get a chance in the same manner as that goal, because it was Moy that played the pass instead of Hatate this time, but that's that's Hatate and Greg Taylor's little move. The ball in between the right back and the centre back, in behind them, cross. Uh, it's usually to Maeda, actually, that the Hatate to Maeda through the middle of the pitch, and Maeda tries to get across. This time it was Moy through the middle of Travenir and the centre back to Greg Taylor, who cut it across. Maeda made an absolute hames of it, but it fell to Kyogo nicely, and then that ju- that just shows you. James, that like while Rangers were approaching this game to, I don't know, be physical with Celtic, Celtic approached it as they have done with every other game in the season. And that, that is often the, the difference between the team that wins it and the team that doesn't is who has the most consistency throughout the season. And Celtic were consistent in performance in this. Yeah, when you when you you know when you're watching the game and you're nervous and emotional and you know you get people around you yelling and screaming and stuff. I, I had my uh, I had family over, so my my 76 year old mother was was uh, all fired up and watching it with me. Um, so you know, and that that's not the venue to you know have a calm, objective uh, assessment of what how the game went. And um, so when I, when I went through my rewatch and kind of looked at it, I, I actually thought it was a relatively close game, meaning that if kind of the balance of play, given all the stuff that we're talking about, meaning that they pretty much blew it in some pretty big respects, uh, their manager did. Um, I actually, to Alan's point, I didn't think some of our players played all out well. Again, the, the, the reason why I'm saying this is that the, the, the result kind of drives narrative. And the fact that it was such a great result, such a joyous occasion, you know, I, I like I came out of the game thinking, man, McGregor played great. And then I went back and I was like, Jesus, I forgot about those two horrible mistakes he made, both of which almost led to goals. Right. And that, that's when Alan talked about weeks ago about, you know, his, his uh, infamous clip now uh, about Tate. It's like that's the kind of thing you just don't, don't remember. Right. So people kind of remember because it, it was right at the end of the game and they happened back to back. The, the two Starfelt blunders. Right. So it's those kind of that mental accounting that we don't go through. And, you know, and I, I hadn't remembered, but, you know, McGregor dove in on the wide left and got beat bad, which led to the the shot from uh, uh, Kent and the rebound to Sakala. That was, you know, not great. And then he had a really bad giveaway to, to um, you know, same thing with Taylor. I mean, Taylor had some really bad <laughs> plays in the game, including, um, you know, that late foul on Cantwell and, and yellow card. And some bad giveaways. So, you know, it, it's it, it's it's difficult to kind of decompose narrative and the emotion of all of it and the, the experience and then kind of, again, go back to more of an objective analysis. So I, I actually don't think we played all that well um, overall. Some players did um, on, on balance. Maeda being a great example of almost like a tale of two people, like a superhuman effort that where he made some real material plays uh tracking back that um masked some of the transition issues that we've had and that we're still there and a combination of him being heroic sakala being a complete bomb scare on the ball and wasting stuff and lundstrom being you know a neanderthal lump in the middle um you know so it was very much on the margins where he could see where things could have gone a little rougher um and fortunately they didn't um, I think we can play a lot better than that. I, I, I do. And I, I don't think that they really created a lot of the issues for us. I just think it wasn't that good of a, a, a day for us. Um, mm. So, but, you know, fortunately, when you put all this stuff into the mixer, it was relatively comfortable. Um, well, I, w- I would add to that, that there's a certain level of tax you have to play, pay on your performance when it comes to finals, because finals are completely different to any other game you'll ever play. Like we, like we say, we, we generally don't analyze cup games all that much because 
there's so much variance in them that it's almost impossible. You, you can, as it's the old cliche that you know the the best result in a cup game is winning the game. It, it doesn't matter how you do it. It's it's getting the well. It, it's, it's and, it, and that's what that's what finals are. And and that's why I bring up the goal that we scored in the first place. That it was still the same as what we usually do during the week. Everybody may not have had a ten out of ten performance, but there was still a consistent base there that was able to see Celtic through certain periods of the game and ride certain storms when Rangers were a little bit more dominant. Absolutely. Yeah. I, it, my, my point was more so the fine margins, meaning that instead of Maeda completely fluffing it so bad that he misses it, that he balloons it over the bar, yeah. and Kent's, Kent's instead of bouncing out of the post bounces in and scores, right? So it was, you know, in game state and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, it, we, we, we did what we do I would argue not all that great on the day, um, but good enough. And they were so bad that, you know, again, you net it all out. And but it, actually, Alan, I was I was surprised because I looked at you know some of the stats based off of how uh, we played it when we played them at the New Year, and I, they were pretty much in line, like percentage of long balls, and like they actually did play a lot pretty similar. And I think that also speaks to the fact that. You know, for the most part, we were just kind of off on our day in um, at, at the New Year game because of, you know, we we're talking about with the illnesses potentially. Um, I, my one question for you, Alan, is that mm. what, what was what was the relative packing score? Because I, 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 I think that's going to probably tell a story, too, as far as what it was a little closer than. That's so, my so guess. Packing, anyway. Yeah. So, you know, overall, in terms of team scores. Um, which is probably a little bit abstract, so I'll, I'll kind of dive into it. But over, overall, team score, which is everything all together, um, it was, and I've just lost it. Oh, it was about, yeah, um, 404 to them, 514 to us. But what does that mean? So um, in terms of, let's talk about passing. So pack passing, you had Starfelt making an extraordinary number of pack passes, 29. Uh, and he did have the overall highest pass packing score, but virtually every single one of those passes was basically taking out the front three players because, you know, Sakala Morales could barely move his gut around the pitch. <laughs> Kent's pretty hopeless at pressing. Sakala's awful at pressing. So it was so easy to play through that first initial press um, that, anyway, Starfelt wrapped up a huge sort of packing score. In terms of more attacking passing, uh, Alistair Johnson, who, to me, just quietly racks up great numbers every single game. Um, he would probably be the next highest backing score, and Greg Taylor would be would be next after that. So the, the two fullbacks, because again they were trying to play quite narrow, so the fullbacks were generally um, kind of available. In terms of um, receiving the ball, so receipts pack receives. Taylor was with the most. So we played down the left a lot. We we played on Tillman A being not great as a sort of defensive midfielder, and B not being that fit. So there was, there was a lot of balls to Taylor that found its way. Um, we got Hatati on the ball a lot. So again, it was down that left side. Uh, so he, 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 Hatati was excellent in terms of, he, he was great at finding these pockets of space, which is a, a skill that we know that he's got. We got Moy on the ball a fair amount. Although I think Moy, to be honest, didn't look 100% fit to me either. So I kind of questioned what, why he, he played. And then in terms of um, turnovers and, um, and recoveries, so... In terms of those that gave the ball away a lot, you mentioned Taylor. Taylor, Both Taylor and Starfelt had absolutely brilliant first halves, both of them um, stellar first halves, and then they blotted their copybooks with some awful turnovers in that second half. Starfelt missing that cross that nearly allowed Kolak to score, and then that, that giveaway you know, seconds later. Taylor, as you said, gave the ball away, then had to commit a foul on the edge of the box to recover himself. So he, he, he those two... Um, a few a few bad turnovers there, um, but then both Taylor and McGregor had four forced um, you know, they forced four from the opposition each, so that that was pretty good um, on that on that side of it. So Maeda actually lost the ball as I say a lot, but it was generally very high and therefore not that impactful. He didn't, and then his recovery pace was so phenomenal. Um, so yeah, that, that's the kind of story of the packing. I think if we want to look at the, the sort of the Rangers packing in terms of um, the most effective passer for them. Um, if you just bear with me, because um, it's I've not got my glasses on. It seems quite far, far away to me. Um, yeah, pack passes. Um, actually, uh, Kamara uh, was was the best for them, followed by uh, Davies. Davies tried quite a few sort of long diagonals 
which were quite effective. So Kamara and Davies, which I would say were the most effective in terms of in terms of um, you know passing, in terms of receiving, it was kind of slim pickings really. Um, they got Kent, uh, they got Morelos actually on the ball in some good positions, but then it kind of it petered out there really. And in terms of sort of uh, turnovers and recoveries, um, uh, yeah, sort of um, Tillman was pretty wasteful as we know. But that's as, as you said before, James, that's one of his his weaknesses that he tends to to kind of give the ball ball away really. So nothing spectacular for them. They they didn't really have anybody on the day that I would say individually put in a a really great performance. On, on our side, it was mainly the fullbacks that were, were getting on the ball, simply because it was so easy to get wide and play through that initial press. Mm-hmm. Well, just that I know this is a very scientific thing that I'm going to bring to the table here. The SBFL have released their team of the week, which includes the uh, Bioplay Cup, and uh, Kyogo Furuhashi is the only Celtic player in the <laughs> starting eleven of the uh, team of the week. So I guess that, that just shows you that Celtic were... As you know, as Mickey Beale says a lot, <laughs> Celtic were just lucky in this game. You know, it was a pretty poor performance for everyone. Um, well, I mean, I, 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 mean, I can, I, to answer you, I do agree with James. It wasn't a great performance, and, and you're right as well, Ender, and that some of that is just down to the occasion. Um, you know, Celtic won the game relatively comfortably. Joe Hart did not make a single save in the game, um, and he barely touched the ball. Actually, he didn't he? Wasn't even having to kind of come for a lot of crosses or do do much. The crossing was really poor. So yeah. it, it was it was comfortable mainly because of Beal's poor choices uh, and poor management and, and, and a complete ineptness on the ball of Morales and Sakala. I mean, yeah. they, they I had to I had to almost laugh when he said train wreck in the final like third. Yeah, I mean, it's just embarrassingly bad. Like his 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 career trajectory. Like there was a player in there at one point. There definitely was, but it's just like he's gained like 10 stone in the last three years so that definitely doesn't help um, Tom Brady is asking in the comments what was the XG in the game overall um, I know this doesn't really matter all that much because it's a once-off thing but um, yep. who was so I, ha- yeah, I had it as uh, about 2.8 to Celtic because remember the two goals Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Goals that we scored were essentially tappings on the goal lines. They were incredible. And then we, 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 we generated a lot of XG late in the game. We had three, good chan- three big chances. Yeah, Jesus, game, Matt so. O'Reilly. Oh, my God. Broke my heart. Yeah, well, Haksabanovic as well, straight clean through, really. Uh, he, yeah. he did well, he cut in, he, he opened the goal up. McGregor did pretty well, actually, on that goal. On that, he, he nailed the yeah, angle well. Save. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't think he saved it, but he he saved one well. But he, he forced Kaczabanowicz to, to aim on the one wide target yeah. on the on the one wide. Uh, he did well, yeah. McGregor. So two point eight for Celtic and about one point six for them because again they actually had a, quite a few shots in the, from good positions in the middle of the box that got blocked. Um, now I probably over I overstate those. Now their xG as well. There's two shots in there which I hope if they'd gone in they would have been disallowed. There was one where Tillman clearly ran the ball out of play knocked it yep. back and Lundstrom had a shot from the centre of the goal. And then the, the one that we talked about with Starfelt, uh, where the ball dropped and then Kolak uh, hit Kolak's arm. Now, generally speaking, that's always given his hand, should be, always be given his handball. If you get a shot, a shot away off the back of a handball, it's an automatic foul. Um, so you'd like to think that uh, that would have been disallowed, but who knows? So, they're, so they're, their XG number is probably a little bit inflated by a couple of good shots from good positions that probably shouldn't have shouldn't have been given, but that's that's the nature of, of VAR. You know, they, they basically just played on, and then because nothing nothing came of it. Yeah. What about defensively then, James? I mean, there were a couple of occasions. The Sakala one where he hits the outside of the post. That's a obviously a terrible miss. But there was I was just watching the the extended highlights of the game. There was a couple of big moments where Rangers may have been in good positions, but. Again, Carmen Carter Vickers was just so solid. Yeah, and, yeah. CCV um, had the had the big clearance um, when you had, you know, uh, I think it was Morales off his shoulder, but Tillman was behind him and had the ball work through. He probably had a tap in, assuming he was onside, which I don't, I don't know if he was. Um, and yeah, I mean, Tillman had one, another time he got to the byline and cut it back right around the twelve yard spot. Um, you know, there was no one there. So again, they, they had a lot of um, relatively controlled possession in the final third, um, particularly with Sakala and, and uh, Morelos that, and, and, you know, usual Kent, I mean, this is, you know, Alan talks about toxic combinations, right? So those three, when you put them three in, in, in an attacking forward line, none of which make good decisions and, or particularly good on the ball, it's not surprising that they have problems, you know, really, um, creating the amount of goal scoring that you would think they should, given you know their advantages in the league um, from a resource perspective, uh, and it's because I mean these guys just you know we've talked about it repeatedly over to, over the years with Kent, his decision making is poor, and Sakala, I mean he just really struggles at, at, at uh, once he gets I mean, as, as a professional. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, it's just uh, remarkable. Um, so between those two things, it, it, this is why I, I say on the margins, it, it's a slippery slope because, you know, you get back to this issue of benchmarking and thinking about what does this mean going, you know, longer term back to Allen's, how he opened up. And I, I don't, I don't think the game really changed as Allen said, I, I didn't think it was going to change much. And the way it kind of un, un uh, played out, I don't think it, you know, it wasn't some great Celtic performance that makes me think, Oh God, we're, you know, this is like, we're, we're really charging here and we're going to, you know, uh, emerge onto the European scene next season. I mean, hopefully we do, and it, we make some changes over the summer, that kind of thing. But it wasn't based off of, of that because you, st you still saw a lot of the issues in transition, you know, them targeting our left side, you know, um, pace issues, you know, Taylor getting smoked down the side on a through ball in the channel and getting beaten for pace badly. You know, those those kind of things that are just, we know they're issues and, you know, they were evident, they were there, just Rangers weren't good enough to really do anything about it. Yeah, but, I mean, the, but, but the dial was further, I mean, that, you know, the Motherwells don't even get into those positions. <laughs> and <laughs> right, right, Rangers get up and got into those positions and then just flush them down the toilet. But to be fair, I don't think a mother, even a motherwell defender wouldn't abandon his front post like Goldson did twice. <laughs> or or no, Davey, all, yeah. All, all, yeah, yeah, all yeah, I was going to add, sorry, uh, to that end, though, is that um, you know, James is right, but Celtic recovered the game when they brought Iwata on. And then and watch out for that one, because although it wasn't a strict double pivot, it was kind of a double pivot. And it and, and Iwata didn't do much on the... Well, he actually he did more in the attacking third on than he did. I mean, I said to my daughter, I was watching the game and Iwata came on because I was tearing my hair, what little hair I've got left. I was tearing it out saying, because Celtic just had an awful, awful spell between the 60th minute and around about the 18th minute where we just couldn't, we couldn't keep the ball. And I said, and Iwata came on, I said to my daughter, I said, oh, brilliant. This guy, this guy will keep the ball. 
First thing he does, he's boots it out of play. He's like, oh my god. Anyway, but just just simply because he was very disciplined about his positioning, he, I think he improved things. And then, but also I think it was helped by the fact they just seemed to not be that fit. They seemed to run out of steam, which is very, the very opposite of what happened last year in the Scottish Cup semi final, where despite the fact they played every day for like a week and they've gone into extra time, they suddenly found this energy and extra time that uh, we didn't, we couldn't, we, we didn't have. And but that, that wasn't the case this time. But um, yeah, Iwata and McGregor together might be something to keep an eye on as being something that maybe gets gets tried in a few more games where maybe we just can see it out. Yeah, I, I think that comes from the energy point of view comes as much from the game swing and the momentum as anything else. I wouldn't say the margins are particularly much different between Celtic and Rangers when it comes to the, the fitness levels. But if you look at the way the game was going, they were pushing and pushing and pushing and just not able to break through at all. And then eventually, with about 10 minutes to left, Celtic start creating loads of chances again. You had the O'Reilly chance, two Haksabanovic chances. Abada had a chance where he went down for looking for a penalty instead of taking it in. Uh, oh, got, got forward a couple of times. So I, I think it was more a mental block for them. that They were like, okay, we're not going to break it through. And then Celtic suddenly took control of the game and start doing what they usually do a little bit better than they, they sort of calmed down a little bit. They were, they seemed a little bit nervous for about 10 minutes in the second half. Uh, questioning them from William, because I do want to touch on him because he's my new favorite Celtic player. And that is uh, Alistair Johnson. Um, William says, can we talk about the shithousery that Alistair Johnson provides us? <laughs> One of my favorite aspects of his game to be, to begin with. And then he also adds, I think he's better defensively than Juranovic. Does the data point towards that early doors in what little have we seen of them so far? Well, sorry, James. I'd just to say that he has passed the 900 minutes threshold. So watch out this week. I might do something on that exactly. But no, listen. Yeah, sneak preview is defensive stats. I'm I'm, I'm actually going to I'm going to I, I can't I'm not I'm going to compare his defensive stats to Lustig because obviously Lustig was primarily a you know six foot two right back, but you know could he also play centre back? And his, he profiled as much as a centre back as he did a, a full back. And I'm I'm going to suggest that. And I'm not, and I, and I, what I'm wondering, and I haven't checked it out yet, I've done the analysis, is whether Johnson has got the defensive stats of a Lustig whilst having the attacking stats of a, you know, I wouldn't say Kieran Tierney, but somewhere close to that, or maybe a Juranovic. So it's going to be fascinating to, to look at. But he, I thought he was absolutely terrific. Again, what I like about him is that two things. One is he seems to get stronger as the game goes on. He just gets better and better and better as the game goes on and stronger and stronger physically. And second is, you'd almost, almost don't notice him sort of racking up. I mean, James will probably know that. I'm sure there's back, basketball players that you don't notice, and then suddenly you think, he's got 30 points. Where the hell did that come from? And he's a bit, he's a, he's a bit like one of those. He just kind of racks up, cause just because he's such a consistent performer. I mean, I don't have, a, I don't have an X, XS for you know, expected shit, obviously, unfortunately. But, I mean, in the first half, he was up against Kamara and Barisic, who... Although they don't have a lot of pace, they're both big, strong, physical players. Big, you know, good, good athletes. And he was just bashing into them for fun. He had no, no problem at all. And and Ken, oh, he loved Ken. <laughs> yeah, he had a had a hoot with him. Wasn't scared about you know showing him the outside. You know, take me on for pace if you want. And he had had his measure pretty pretty well. So I think he's 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 a bit of a find actually. I think early days, but and let me do the proper analysis. But early signs are good. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm a absolutely huge fan of him. It's so just so easy to get behind him, especially when like he's come in with just full confidence. That's that's what you want. You don't want a player coming in and being shy and scared of the jersey almost. He's come in, he's Celtic starting right back and he acts like it and he's completely embedded himself. I think if if you even if you watch some of the interviews and things that he's done with Alexa Greg Taylor or whoever, he seems to have integrated really well with the group of players. And that is something that you don't see as much. Um and you it's very hard to tell whether, you know, all these players actually get on behind the scenes, but it's very important for players to to integrate within the squad socially as well. So uh James, I, I mean I, I, I guess you only wish that he was American rather than Canadian. <laughs> Oh, I love I, I'm I love South Park, but I do love uh, I do love our northern uh, uh, neighbors. Um, yeah, just I throw one stat out that um, kind of em- amplifies um, uh, Johnson so far. So his 
percentile. So, you know, again, StatsBomb has a metric for like percentage success rate in tackles and defending against dribblers, oncoming dribblers, kind of one stat together. And he's in the 93rd percentile of his peer group. Now, again, it's like eight games, but that matches the eye test, right? And we saw that against Kent. So, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I think the issues with him are more so um, theoretically, and again, I'm just to be balanced, um, how dynamic he is on the ball. So I, I, I think we'll still see about that. I mean, he definitely made some great passes and it's there, um, but the consistency there and how creative he can be doesn't even need to be. That's the other part. Like we talk about in Europe needing some, you know, someone that's going to be that bedrock defensively. And I, that to me, that's always been the encouraging aspect of, of um, him is that he, you know, if there is a tilt, he's more tilted towards Europe as a, as opposed to domestic um, the game and how it fits. Um, and I thought Juranovic maybe was the opposite of that as far as, you know, how he fit. Um, and we saw that with, you know, some of the defensive challenges he had in the system. So in, in Europe, but yeah, I, uh, very, very um, positive. And again, the nice part is you've got Ralston behind him. So yeah, not, uh, people, you know, it's, he was out injured for quite some time, but tremendous, um, uh, backup as well. So it's uh, definitely good to see. And Juranovic is actually doing quite well for Union Berlin as well. So it's, I think he's playing wing back, uh, left wing yeah, back. I think most I've seen him. Yeah. He's starting to get forward a little bit more for them. But um, I guess just to f- wrap this up, then that's Ange Postecoglou's third trophy for Celtic, second league cup, league title um, last year as well and nine points clear at the top of the league this year, still in the Scottish Cup. Chance for the treble is definitely still on. One trophy uh, confirmed already for this season. You'd be very confident Celtic going on to win the league at the point that they are at the minute because they're nine points clear with you know less than half the season to play. And today Ange was asked in the press conference, he was just chatting about um, – general things about Celtic and that happens to be in the press conference and he said that he is still here even though the people are trying to get him out the door and he think he says I think you'll be surprised at how long I'm here I'm consumed by trying to make this club the best it can be and I'll enjoy every minute of it so I think the biggest anxiety point for most Celtic fans is not about any player anymore anymore. It's about Antoine Cogman and his future. Uh, that for me is definitely confirming one more year. I don't know if I'm willing to go and look much further than that. Yeah, I listen uh, yeah, I, th- I think the anxiety is right. We've gone past the sort of year and a half, so I think everything can happen. Um so the so I tried trying again trying to be sort of balanced, dispassionate. If you're uh, you know if you're the, the CEO of a fairly major European club and you're looking at Celtic, you're sort of thinking, yeah, you know, you've got you've clearly got you've done well to recruitment wise. You've you've shown that you can build a very coherent squad on a on, on a on a budget. In fact, you've made money in your transfer dealings and completely rebuilt the squad. So that's impressive. Um, you've probably reduced the wage bill as well. So that, that, that would probably tick a box. Um, and, you know, you also play attractive football, so that's that's, that's good. And, 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 you, and you won, but to be honest, I'd expect you to win, given, given Celtic's uh, structural advantages. Europe, first season was poor. Second season, you did, there was some interesting play. You know, you, 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 you gave it a go. You were kind of a bit attacking, some might say naive, and you know, he didn't win a game. So I'm I'm if I'm looking at it net net as a as a CEO of a of a top European club, I'm kind of eh, not not sure. Right? That's what, that's just my honest opinion, looking at looking at it as objectively as I as I can. If if he were to stay and Celtic made a right crack of it in Europe next year, whether that's getting out of you know getting out of the Champions League group and then have either having a Europa League run or getting into the last sixteen and and the and the and the performances are strong throughout, uh, and because it's clearly a, a very defined, well organised team, which I think Celtic are and will will continue to be so under and then I think that'll start to turn a few a few more heads. Otherwise, at the moment, I'm sure he could go off and get another job, but I don't think it would be the sort of job that he would 
want to leave Celtic for. It would be like a sort of mid-table team, probably somebody facing a huge rebuild, maybe somebody facing a relegation battle in, in, in one of the sort of bigger bigger leagues, perhaps. And I'm not sure that really floats his boat. At the moment, he's been given a huge degree of autonomy to shape the football club. He's been given a huge amount of independence and control over what happens. And that's, and that's another topic for another day, by the way, because I'm not necessarily yeah. saying that's, that's the right way to go about it either. Um, but I do believe, and, and this, you know, this is maybe me straying into naivety a little bit, but I do believe that, and, and Andrew will leave, so sorry to break this to people, but he will leave one day. Um, when that day comes, I fully expect that it will be in a way that the Celtic board are fully informed of what happens and, and are given some degree of ability to plan a bit of succession planning and that it will, be, it will hopefully be, it won't be something slipping out the door <laughs> uh, on a Tuesday night as happened to, the, to, to uh, a couple of managers ago. So I think it'll be, you know, I think it'll be signposted if it'll probably be, it won't be maybe even halfway through a season, it might be at the end of a season that, you know, that, that this will happen and hopefully Celtic will, be organised and forward thinking to be able to to work around that, but it will it will happen one day. Yeah, at some point. I don't I don't think it'll be very soon, but I do think it will be uh, even sooner than and maybe hints at there. It's but it's football I, and the, it's football. Well, that, well that, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. J- John Giles used to say that uh, Jack Charton would tell him that uh, before he got into manager management, one of the main things that Jack Charton told him was don't stay more than five years at a club because. At that point in time, not only has your uh, your whole stranglehold of the players and your you know your authority over the players relaxed to the point where now you don't have as much as you did when you first came in, your leeway with the board is also diminished to the point of no return after five years. That was Jack Charton's advice, and I've watched many managers go past that, and many managers fail within a year and a half to two years after the five year mark. It is a very it's not like it's not an out and old science at a threshold, but five years is a long time to stay at a club. And so, and, uh, and I, I would, I would argue, I would argue, that given the intensity of modern football, that's now three. That's now three years. Yeah, three, three years exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I was going to say he's, he's, he's about three years in. I would say three to four years is kind of more the threshold now. And hmm. um, what my hopes is, and again, this is going to be uh, a conversation for another day, really, in a grand scheme of things, but. James, if you look at Tech Brighton as the example of where I would like Celtic to be at the point where Ange is leaving. Graham Potter, he left Brighton out of the blue, but Brighton had established a, a player trading model before that where they're bringing in players to suit this system. And then they have a they they had a replacement coming in that suited the players that were already there. They weren't coming in coming in and going for a manager that was going to reinvent everything that they were doing at the club. They were getting in a like-minded manager who's going to suit the players that are already there so that they didn't have to do this big rebuild. And it was a revolving thing. It wasn't a boom-to-bust model. So I think that's where we want Celtic to be before Ange leaves, is that the players are already there and it's a like-for-like replacement with the manager in the same way that Johnson came in for Juranovic and you don't even notice the difference. So you're, you are explicitly advocating for Kevin Muscat over John Kennedy? What kind of a well, scumbag? I don't know, maybe are you? you are a and, scumbag. And look, well, you know, like I, I don't know if there's been many people more harsh on John Kennedy than me in the last ten, uh, two to three years. But maybe John Kennedy is the guy. Maybe he is the guy after a couple of years under Ryan's that takes over, um, and is the manager. Maybe, maybe he is ready. I don't know. Yeah. So I, to me, it's about. Um, whether or not Ange ends up building the institutional memory and culture that is going to persist after he leaves, we're not going to know until, you know, it's too late, so to speak. It, it seems like the board's making that bet. Um, and, you know, to be fair, it sounds, as usual, it's probably one person that's being been making that bet. Uh, people use the board as if there's, it's more than just one person. But um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I, th- th- this is why, I mean, it was never a shock to me that, um, you know, Potter isn't the greatest thing since sliced bread, because again, the formula at places like Brentford and at, at Brighton, it, it's, you know, there, there's, um, there's culture, there's intellectual firepower that's institutional. It's, it's not one person. Um, it's a system thing. And, and that's, you know, I, I, 
don't think there's much evidence that Celtic have that yet. Hopefully, Ange is building that. Um, I'm still skeptical long term, um, given that that tends to be set from the top down, and given who's at the very top, um, probably would have a psychologist in uh, to address deal, you know, things when you when you have an issue. Like he said, I think it was in September of 19 when he said our problem in Europe was psychological, not you know that we were having issues with you know in defensive transitions for example with an old midfield uh, none of those things it was because you know we have psychological issues so th those kind of things stop you typically are top down and and that's not going to change anytime soon at Celtic so hopefully you know that Ange is able to carve out enough space and he's able to kind of imprint that kind of um, culture and institutional memory um that's the, I think that's the hope we have at this point. Yeah, big time. Uh, Mantis Toboggan, MD, coming in with the, if only Alex Ferguson had taken Big Jack's advice, as if Alex Ferguson isn't the exception to every rule when it comes to football management. Well, if you say that, right, but I was, I was having this conversation with someone today. Alex uh, Ferguson, Alex Ferguson was manager, he was manager of East Stirling, right? He was manager of St Mirren. He did, he did, his, he did his apprenticeship. He did it in tough places. Uh, he, well, he did, few, did he not he also built, have a policy? It, he built it, but he, yeah. Did Alan? Yeah. Did he not also have a policy of churning his staff? Like he he almost yeah. created his own. Mm -hmm. He avoided himself getting churned by churning people around and right. keeping the ideas fresh. Well, it's a little bit like Ange bringing in Harry Kuehl. Harry Kuehl strikes me as being, I fact, I believe he is a pretty abrasive character, and so Ange knew that he was probably throwing somebody quite abrasive into. Because let's be honest. You know, John Kennedy, Gavin Strachan, even you know Darren O'Day, they're nice guys, right? You got to yeah. throw a bit of uh, a bit of uh, a, a bit of spice into the mix, and I, I think that's good management actually. And so it'll be interesting to see if we get another bit of you know not not a revolution as, as you said, Ed, more of a evolution. But I think we do need to look at the whole structure and um, you know what's Mark Law's role going to be going forward. You know who's who's going to be sitting above and setting that strategy. That's that's the key question in my mind. Yeah. So in less big yeah, picture strategy sort of conversation, then we move back to reality Same when it comes period. to SBFL. And that is the team that everybody has modeled their game plan against Celtic. And that is St. Mirren. Can they get a result against Celtic this weekend? I'm going to say no. We're, we're going to find out, man. You know, smaller pitch and... Uh, Robinson. Only a yard, only, well, they might have small, they might have shortened it again, but I, I believe right. according to the records, it's only about a yard shorter on on all sides. So. Yeah. yeah. So but yeah, yeah. It, it'll be uh, probably another interesting uh, battle. We'll see if he's consistent. Whether you know Robinson, whether he tweaks things, or whether he just goes with the same game plan. I mean, you would think he would just stick with it. I mean, it worked pretty well. Well, um, they don't change. They play this three-five-two every game, no matter who they're playing. Right, it's just how aggressive yeah. he is. He was a little more aggressive, yeah. ironically, at Celtic Park. He, yes. He, um, so we'll see if he kind of goes back to bunkering again a little more. But yeah, it's probably not going to be a, a pleasant afternoon, even if we win four nil. You know what I mean? Like it's it's <laughs> going to be one of those days, I suspect. Yeah, I think Celtic are going to win comfortably. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm bringing the confidence of this league win into. Uh, this game at the weekend, I, the just the, the manner that I, I I don't know how enjoyable it is at the very top level that Celtic are at when it comes to winning these trophies because the reality is these guys probably didn't celebrate for more than you know the four hours after the game that they had after the shower and the food and then it was back to bed and then straight in they probably got a, maybe half a day off the following day and then back in. I think to, no, they, to got, go again, they got so. Monday off, I think. Oh, they did. And okay. Made a big point. Okay. Ange made a big point of that. He's saying he said actually at the end of the game he said, um, "If I don't let them celebrate, then mentally they're thinking, what's the point of winning anything?" So you know they they they, they celebrate tonight. They got the day off on Monday and they're back in Tuesday. Okay, well that's good because I didn't hear that. Mm -hmm. So um, you made me look the right fool at the end of this podcast. Though. <laughs> Not me again. Again, it wasn't me. <laughs> All your undoing, Ender. <laughs> Look, I think um, a, we've covered theme, all bases. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think we've covered covered all bases in terms of the final. So, any final points before we wrap up? 
I, I, I did, I did, I did um, swither myself over who, who I thought the sort of boy of the match was, but and you know Johnson because Taylor and Starfield at halftime, Hatati even they were all, all kind of in the mix, but you just got to go with Kyogo, and and, and the reason that I picked him is, the, is what Callum McGregor said. He said, you know, the focus that Kyogo has and the discipline that he has to play the role he's asked to play because yeah, you know, and I used to play as a striker, and you, and you, you know, you want to go and get the ball, you want to get involved, you want to get on the ball and run at people and all that sort of thing. He, he, he's very disciplined. He oh, he kept making those runs. He kept getting into positions between the sticks, and he got his reward. And it takes a lot of discipline to because you know he, again he only had more shots at goal than he completed passes. <laughs> so that he didn't he didn't touch the ball very much hardly at all. But you know there he was. Uh, never a doubt that he was going to get those those two goals, and he looked the more da- most dangerous. So that'd be my la- last word, I suppose, is that you know that Kyogo I think deserved boy the match for me. Yeah. Anything from you, James? Ditto. Yeah, big game player, absolute big game player, and you know he's he's going to be hard to replace if if he ever leaves Celtic in the in the next couple of years. But we'll live in the moment. We'll enjoy them while we have. That's the the main motto. My final point on the final before we wrap this up is that if you thought that it was a nervous game or you thought that Rangers were completely dominated, just go back and rewatch like half the game or the, the, the stretch in the final 20 minutes um, without the nerves and the emotion and the noise. And you'll come to realize that it actually wasn't that bad. I, I, I thought that, you know, it, it was very nerve wracking at the time, but it wasn't, all that bad they didn't create all that much in the period that they were quote-unquote the dominant team in the final so that would be um, my main message to anybody watching and listening and to those who were watching and listening live on youtube thank you very much keep the comments coming like the video as well if you're in the comments and if you're not subscribed to the channel please do subscribe as well it helps it grow and lets more people see the show as well. If you want to get the show in reverse, if you haven't caught it at the very start, you can get it on podcast on iTunes and Spotify as well. We will be back next week with a review of the St. Mirren game, and hopefully that's a win too. Thanks for watching, folks. We'll chat to you later. Good luck. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs>
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.